And we're live. Okay, it's working. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this week's Parsha is Ki Tzetze, which means when you go out. And we are, this actually was supposed to be my son's Bar Mitzvah Parsha, but he pushed it off because the rabbi of our synagogue was supposed to be making a wedding that week. And uh, then he ended up changing the date of the wedding. So we could have done it this week. But my son got to do a much shorter Parsha in the end, so it worked out well for everyone. Um, so this week's Parsha contains the most mitzvahs in the Torah. How many? 94 mitzvahs in this week's Parsha. There are 94 commandments. More than any other Parsha in the entire Torah. And it goes across the gamut. Marriage laws, um, damages, um, Interesting things that don't necessarily make so much sense logically, sending away a mother bird, not having um, mixed uh, fabrics in your garment, in your clothing, um, a lot of marriage stuff, modesty, not charging interest, keeping your oaths, your pledges, the rights of an employee, divorce laws, newlywed laws debt collection, kidnapping, paying on time for for workers' wages, workers' laws, workers' rights, converts, widows, and orphans. It's like, it's all here. Everything, basically. You name it, it's here. All right? So the question is why? Why this week's Parsha? Okay, and now we're going to start with something really, really challenging, which is the way the Parsha starts. And I always like to try to talk about the first thing in the Parsha because I feel like it kind of paints the picture for what the Parsha is about, okay? So this is this is going to be not PC, so get ready. Any liberals who are listening, embrace yourself because it might be a little mildly offensive, but we're going to try to understand it in a, in a deeper way, okay? So the Torah talks about when the Jewish nation goes to war against their enemies, and wages a non-obligatory war. It is uh, a, not if self-defense, but actually to expand the borders of Israel. And if they see seize a captive, and there is a woman there who is one of the soldiers finds beautiful, non-Jewish woman who is from the other side in the battle, and they find her beautiful. And I believe it was the custom for, in times of war, for women to dress up uh, very beautifully in order to protect themselves from being uh, killed so that they would be taken as captives. So that's exactly what the Torah is talking about. If the man sees this woman and desires her for a wife, so he is obligated to bring her home, to shave her head, to make her grow her nails out, to sit in in ragged clothing, take off the attractive clothing she was wearing at the battle and to put on regular clothing or ragged clothing. And she should sit in the house for an entire month and cry over her family who she's been separated from or who have been lost in battle. And at the end of that month, if he still desires her, then he is permitted to marry her. And, um, if he doesn't desire her, he sends her away and she goes free. She, he's not allowed to turn her into a slave or 
to make her work or anything he, she goes free she becomes uh goes back to her people or or becomes a free i'm not exactly sure what her status will be at that point it's a good question to look up um so that's it that's the storyline okay and there are a lot of problems with that storyline because like let's think about it okay when a person goes to war okay uh, a jewish person goes to war are they permitted to eat non-kosher? If they see a nice cheeseburger sitting there on the battlefield, are they allowed to eat the cheeseburger? No, not allowed to eat the cheeseburger, right? On the contrary, even if, how the Rambam says, if they are starving, if they are absolutely starving, they are permitted to eat non-kosher in war, right? Because they are fulfilling a mitzvah. But they are certainly not allowed to just choose to go eat non-kosher. And all the more so, they're not allowed to go and just take some woman who's not Jewish and like basically compel her to marry him. That's not, that's not a very Jewish thing. And we don't convert people for marriage, right? If you go to a rabbi, an Orthodox rabbi, and you say, Rabbi, I want to convert to Judaism. The first question he's going to ask you is, and my friend actually, a friend of mine, this is an amazing story. I'll tell you the story now. He grew up in Toronto, Polish family, non-Jewish family. And at a young age, he started having dreams with, with Jewish imagery in the dreams. He saw himself, uh, people with, he saw, I think he had on his hand, uh, Magen David, a Jewish star on his hand. He saw himself going into a building with a mezuzah on the, the wall. He didn't know what it was. And as a young kid, he used to draw Jewish stars on his papers. And in fact, he one time drew, I think, a, a, an Xmas tree with a Jewish star on top. And his parents were like, we don't draw that type of star. And uh, eventually his parents used to take him, started taking him to, to church at a certain age. And he said, whenever he went into church, he started to faint. And so they stopped taking him to church and they let him stay home. And then he started reading Jewish books and he started, taught himself how to read Hebrew, started learning Talmud. And... Um, at, at a certain point, you know, he asked his parents to take him to, to, to speak to a rabbi. So they took him to a certain synagogue and he went to the rabbi and he said, Rabbi, I, uh, I want to, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to be Jewish. I want to convert. And the rabbi said, what's the girl's name? And uh, he said, no, rabbi, really? And so the rabbi's like, listen, come back when you're older. He was 16 years old at the time. The rabbi said, come back when you're older or he was 13, whatever, he's a young, young kid. And, uh, he said, no, Rabbi, I really, I'm serious about this. I was like, you're serious about this? He's like, you can come to my Talmud class. So the, so the kid came to the Talmud class, and the rabbi wanted to kind of make him put him on the spot. So the rabbi's like, why don't you read? And he read perfectly. All right? He's like, whoa. So uh, he converted at a very young age. And it's very interesting. When his mother was, um, was pregnant, she said, if it's a boy, we're going to name him David. And if it's a girl, we're going to name, name it Sarah. And they had to ask permission from her parents to give the child a Jewish sounding name because it's not like so appropriate in their family to give a Jewish name. And uh, so he had a Jewish name. His turns out that his grandfather helped, uh, was in actually in a concentration camp, I believe could be Auschwitz, for having helped rescue Jews during the war. So unbelievable, you know, that this story, like, grandfather helps save jews is in a concentration camp and the grandson ends up becoming jewish so uh, anyway so 
we don't, if you come to a rabbi and you say, Rabbi, I want to convert because I've fallen in love with a Jewish man or a Jewish woman, the rabbi will say, I'm sorry, but um, we don't do that, right? Because to convert to Judaism is because you yourself feel that this is your mission in life, that you are meant to serve God as a Jew. You don't have to be Jewish to serve God. We're not looking to convert the whole world to be Jewish. We want the whole world to serve God, to serve Hashem. But you can do that through the seven mitzvahs of the children of B'nai Noach, seven seven mitzvahs that the whole world is incumbent upon the whole world as a means of connecting God. And they have uh, synagogues, so to speak, for non-Jews. There's a group of them in in uh, throughout the south of America. They're called B'nai Noach, children of Noah. And they have their own prayer books and their own services. And my wife's uncle actually was involved in helping teach a bunch of these people about the laws that are that they can follow to to serve God, not as a Jew. But if a person feels that, no, being Jewish is what they want to do. They're meant to serve God in the way of the Jews, which is through 613 mitzvahs and many more obligations. So then they're permitted to convert to Judaism, right? They have to be sincere. They have to really want it. But to do it for marriage is totally, uh, at least according to most opinions, not kosher, right? So uh, in certain cases, it, once it's done, so, so the child might very well be Jewish, but um, it's not something that we do uh, up front if, we, if it can be avoided. So um, not to say that, that there aren't times that, that it is encouraged, right? Once a couple is already married and already have children, so there might be certain um, positions that would push that, them to convert in order for the children to then have a full Jewish upbringing. But it depends on the situation and each case it has to be asked to to a uh, to a, an expert in the field okay so um so how are we going into battle and just taking some random woman and saying come on you're coming home with me we're gonna get married it sounds like coercion it sounds like a false conversion right so on furthermore who's going into battle now you might say in the heat of battle you know people are there's a lot of passion going on and the torah doesn't want Jewish men raping and pillaging women, right? That's not definitely not kosher. So the Torah gives us a means to channel that beast, bestial instinct that comes out when in the midst of war. But the problem, perhaps, with that answer is that these people fighting the war were not just regular people. Do you know who they were? You know who went to war? So the Torah goes and the Talmud expounds upon the questions that were asked of those who were going into battle. In order to go into battle, you had to have no fear of going into battle. And the Talmud explains no fear of having done any sins. You have to be a complete righteous person to go into battle. And the Talmud says to the point that you didn't even speak between putting on your tefillin of the head and tefillin of the arm, that you wouldn't even speak, meaning you were so careful even with the minutia of Jewish law. So the people going to battle were incredibly righteous. There was a play that was made at the time of the Jewish Enlightenment, meaning in the probably in the 1800s or early 1900s that was kind of making fun of Judaism. right? A Jewish play written by Jews who were becoming more assimilated, more modern, and they made fun of this concept of going to war and how they kept asking questions, you know, and they were really looking, they gave a lot of excuses to leave, right? So they say, anyone recently plant a vineyard? 
Anyone build a new house? Anyone recently get married? Go home. You don't have to stay. And they were giving the opportunity for anyone else who was afraid to go home also. And anyone do any sins lately? Go home. And not so as not to embarrass those guys. So they had an opportunity to go home with everyone else, right? And so in this play, making fun of, of, of Judaism a little bit, after all these questions, there was only one person left in the battlefield. And it was like the greatest rabbi. And that was it. And they're making fun of, you know, like Judaism, it's so hard to keep, you know, how are we supposed to, you know, everyone has something, some skeletons in the closet. The only guy who's a really good Jew is the, is the head rabbi. So um, my, my sons, somebody told this story about this play to one of the great rabbis of the time about how they were making fun of, of the Jews. And the rabbi said, there's just one part that they left out of that play is that that one rabbi who was left in, on the battlefield went ahead and won the war. <laughs> so... Um, we were looking for a miraculous victory. We were, these were righteous people. So how could it be a righteous person is going to go to such a low level of just desiring someone for physic, physical beauty? Doesn't make sense. So furthermore, the Orachayim, a great um, Kabbalist, says that furthermore, these, these righteous people were in the process of fighting a war. And a, it was a mitzvah to do this. And when a person does a mitzvah, they have a certain protection from their, their yetzer hara, from their bodily desires. So they, were, they had an additional protection from falling victim to their animal instincts. So, so it, the whole thing doesn't make sense from the beginning to end. Okay? So Rashi tells us a few interesting things. Rashi tells us, I'm going to give you two explanations of what's going on here. Okay? Rashi tells us that this war was not a Melchemist mitzvah. It wasn't a war of a mitzvah. It was a Melchemist rishus. It was a, an optional war. And the word rishus, we're going to have to understand what that means. It means permissible. Okay? Or it means like, like middle ground. It's not a mitzvah and it's not an avera. It's not a sin. It's not a commandment, but it's rishus. It means it's in between. Okay, like I'll give you an example. On Shabbos, there are um, there are different domains. Okay, there's a Rishus Hayachid, that means private domain. That's where you're allowed to carry. There's a Rishus Harabim. There's a public domain. And then there's something in between, which is just, it's basically uh, no man's land. And the rabbis prohibit us from carrying in that no man's land without an a-roof without a like a communal string or a fence surrounding that that area right but but uh the idea of rishus means like a domain and when we talk about rishus something that's a rishus so there's something called a mitzvah there's something in the realm of action the mitzvah is a, is a good deed a commandment like um um keeping shabbos then there's something called an avera eating cheeseburgers a sin and there's something called rishus, which is gray. It's not black or white. It's gray. It's permissible. For example, um, eating a kosher burger. It's not a mitzvah to eat a kosher burger. I mean, it's a, it's you're uh, preventing yourself from doing the sin of eating non-kosher. But you don't. There's no mitzvah to eat burgers, right? It's permissible. You're allowed to eat burgers if you need to eat burgers, right? Um, sports, sports are permissible. Kosher movies are permissible. Listening to kosher music is permissible, right? Going um, 
on walks in the park, permissible, right? Schmoozing with your friends, permissible, right? Neither mitzvah or avera. You're allowed to do it. It's permissible. Um, but there's a deeper way of looking at it. And the deeper way of looking at it is reshus means, it literally means, either it means permissible or it also means a domain, as we said, Shabbos. And there are those that explain that reshus means it's in your domain. It's in your domain. There is no gray. There are no gray areas. There are either mitzvahs or there are sins in this world. Rashus are the things that are given over into your domain to turn them into mitzvahs or to turn them into averas, into sins. For example, that burger, the kosher burger, it's not a mitzvah to eat a burger, or is it? How can eating a burger be a mitzvah? Okay, there's a soul inside that food, but without getting so Kabbalistic, Jennifer, what's a simple, simple explanation of why eating a burger can be a mitzvah? Yes. Excellent. We're, there's a mitzvah to keep yourself alive and to be healthy. So if you're hungry and your body needs food, so it is a mitzvah to eat. And eating can be a burger. It can be a veggie burger, right? It can be um, carrot sticks. Depends how vegan you want to go, you know? But whatever you eat can't is completely, if it's kosher, is in the realm of mitzvah. We do it a certain way. We make a blessing. We make sure it's prepared properly, kosher ingredients, right? Cooked properly. If it's an animal, it's slaughtered properly. The meat is prepared a certain way, right? It's not mixed with certain forbidden ingredients like cheese and meat milk and meat right but once it's a kosher thing and you're eating it because you're hungry and your body needs it and it's healthy okay now perhaps it could be very clearly argued right most many most rabbis say that uh, smoking is forbidden it's actually forbidden to smoke why because it's not healthy you're not allowed to do something that's clearly unhealthy so based on that token it could be certain foods we should avoid unhealthy foods high cholesterol high fat Right, maybe the aspartin or whatever in the Diet Coke. I don't know. Again, no one's coming out and saying that those things are forbidden. But if in done, if done too much, certainly is not is not a mitzvah to eat unhealthy. Right? I don't think that you know the amount that you drink from one Diet Coke is going to kill you. But if you're drinking a couple of cokes a day, maybe maybe one should be more careful. But again. I don't know to what degree it takes, how quick it has to kill you in order for it to be forbidden. But certainly across the board, uh, smoking, starting smoking is forbidden. Quitting smoking is not mandatory because it's very hard to quit smoking, right? I see a smile over there, right? Why? Why? It's probably very hard to quit, right? I'm not calling anyone out. If you want to say something, feel free. Um, so... There's there are many stories of rabbis, famous rabbis. Back in the day, everyone used to smoke, right? It was considered to be healthy to smoke. So there's a story I don't remember which rabbi it's told of that um, the the day that it was come, came out, Surgeon General's warning that smoking causes cancer. He put he he took out, out his cigarette and that was it, done, cold turkey. Why? Because a person who has total self control is able to do that, but that's not most of us, right? So so I've heard it said that if a person is, is already a smoker, they're not obligated to quit, but they should certainly try, 
right? But to start smoking, not allowed. And yet you see a lot of people start smoking still, even religious Jews. Why? Because people are people. They do the wrong thing, right? Just like we speak badly about each other, even though we're not supposed to, right? But not definitely not a kosher thing to do. So why am I saying this? Oh, yeah. So eating a burger, if you're hungry, is a mitzvah. When is eating a burger a sin? So mixing meat and dairy, yes, for sure. But again, let's keep it simple, Jennifer. Even if it's kosher, when is a kosher mitzvah a sin? Overeating. On, exactly. Because, again, we have an obligation to protect our bodies to be healthy. If you eat for the sake of energy, it's a mitzvah. If you eat just for the pleasure of the food, it's a sin. Just eating because you enjoy the food, that's a sin. You're supposed to enjoy the food. When is it a mitzvah to just enjoy the food? Hold on, hold on. These are these are sins that, again, we're not like necessarily holding on this level. I'm just giving over the theory. In practice, let's work on the kosher burger and eat as much of it as we want, okay? Don't worry about this in practice. Not yet. But I'll show you why it is very relevant. Okay, I'll try to bring it down to earth for all of us. But but when is eating um when is eating when is eating just for the sake of the taste a mitzvah? Shabbos. Shabbos and holidays. There's a special mitzvah to go out of your way to enjoy the food. Now, for normal people, we want to enjoy our food during the week also. But on the highest level, righteous people try very hard during the week to eat the simplest foods. Just for nourishment and not for taste. Right? There is a Kabbalistic experience of trying to connect to the spirituality in the food through the taste. But again, normal people don't really do that. And But on Shabbos, we're supposed to eat the best foods and enjoy to the max because Shabbos is a day of completely indulging in the pleasure of this world for the sake of a mitzvah. Shabbos is a mitzvah to enjoy the food. There is specifically a mitzvah called Oneg Shabbos. Enjoying Shabbos. Okay? So, let me give you another example, okay? Um, I heard from a rabbi, a great rabbi nowadays. Now, again, this I'm telling you on a very high level. This is for the level of people who are really, really holding in not doing the basic sins, right? They've already stopped eating non-kosher and breaking Shabbos and, uh, you know, going to clubs and stuff like that, right? And they're keeping all the mitzvahs as best they can. They might, uh, some of them are very hard to keep, like not speaking Lashon Hara, not speaking badly about other people is very hard, right? But the, the main things they've gotten, so now it's time to start working on refining themselves, Okay. Uh, the higher level you are spiritually, the more refined you are in all of your actions, your thoughts, and your speech. Total self-control. There's a story of a famous rabbi that after he passed away, they found a journal that he had kept where he wrote each day any things he did without intention. Like you ever notice when you're at the bus stop and you keep looking to see if the bus is coming, right? That's called an an, an act without mindfulness because you know if the bus comes, you'll know it's there, right? Because everyone around you is going to get on the bus. You don't need to keep looking to see if the bus has arrived. And yet we do certain actions just on subconsciously, 
So the rabbi had written down in the book every time he scratched his like eyebrow without thinking about it, without intending to do that. That's like a very high level self-control. So I'm going to share with you some of these ideas. So I heard from a great rabbi, one of, one of, one of the, the most influential, inspirational rabbis in Jerusalem, who said that playing basketball, is playing basketball a mitzvah or is it a sin? It's a form of exercise, and therefore, it's a mitzvah if if you're doing it to keep yourself healthy. So this great rabbi said basketball can be an incredible mitzvah if you need to get healthy to exercise, right? Um, if you need to, what other reason might playing basketball be a mitzvah? Spending time with your kids, right? What else? We are, we are supposed to enjoy life. We're not supposed to over-enjoy life. So if for you, you need to unwind, you need to relax, you need to get out and expand your mind. So playing basketball, watching a kosher movie, going hiking, these are all incredible mitzvahs, right? But when you don't need to do them, when you don't need to relax, when you already got your exercise for the day, when you've already gotten out and connected and had fun for the day in order to give your mind the break that it needs, so then that's called wasting time. Again, I don't want you guys to take this into practice, okay? I'm just giving you the theory right now. So why? The worst expression to ever come out of the English language, the most non-Jewish expression, do you know what it is? has to do with time. Killing time. Killing time. It's really true. Because you know what you're killing when you kill time? You're killing life. Because time is not money. Time is life. Time is opportunities to grow. From a Jewish perspective, every moment of life is a gift. That's why they call it the present. right? Every moment of life is an opportunity to grow and connect to become a better person. That's why we're here. That's why we're in this world. We're in this world. We have an opportunity in this world to acquire eternity through perfecting ourselves and perfecting the world. Nothing is free in this world. There's no such thing as free time. Every moment is life, is opportunities. Okay, so do we have to work? Do we have to make a living? Is it a mitzvah? To make money? It is a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to make money, to support yourself, to support your community. Can working become a sin? It depends on your purpose in life. Some people have evaluated it and they've spoken it out with their rabbi and they've come to the conclusion that their purpose is to become rich so they can do incredible things with their money. Right? Now, to work to cover your basic needs, 100% a mitzvah. Food, Clothing, rent, mortgage, car, mitzvah. 
to whatever degree of luxury you need in your life, right? And we're not supposed to overindulge. So you have to know yourself, what your comfort level is, what you need, right? Is there a mitzvah to get a bunch of yachts and houses all over the world and 50 different cars? Well, it depends. It depends on you. It depends on your nature. It depends on how you grew up. Do you know that if a rich person becomes poor, a really rich person, a Donald Trump, Bill Gates type becomes bankrupt. So we have an obligation to support them. Jewish community has an obligation to support them. The mitzvah of tzedakah. We have to raise money from the community to help take care of their needs. So what needs, you might ask? Should we get them, you know, like three meals a day and, and a one-room apartment? So according to Jewish law, you get them whatever they're used to. You have an obligation to pay for them to have a limo. It sounds insane. But the answer is tzedakah is to give that person a life that to them feels like a life. Unbelievable. That, by the way, why is that? Because, because it's very hard to change. And we have an obligation to try to help them to restore their dignity and to live according to a life that for them is a comfortable life. Now, I would probably assume that most communities are not doing that because it's we don't have enough money really even to pay for all. I mean, we do have enough money, but it's hard enough to raise funds to pay to make sure everyone has electricity and food on the table and clothing. Right In Baltimore, there's a community organization that raises many millions of dollars every year just to help the poor of the community. And it's an amazing thing. So I don't think there's enough to go around at this stage to then pay for the rich people that went bankrupt to have like their same old lifestyle. But um, in, in an ideal time when we are flourishing as a community, which I would say in many cases, anyways, we are nowadays in America. So then we will probably have that obligation. But anyway, the point is, is that is it a mitzvah to become rich? The answer is if you determine that your responsibility in life is to give millions of dollars away to help the poor because you are so successful at your career, and you have a unique opportunity to bring money in to the Jewish community to help other people. So then you have an obligation probably to work 50, 60 hours a week. If that's your talent and you have a unique opportunity to make a lot of money, so you're probably obligated to be making as much money as you can. However, Jewish law dictates that everyone has to make time to learn every morning and every night and to pray, right? But there are certain people who are ridiculously busy and perhaps they could be spending more time doing mitzvahs and learning. But for them, the greatest mitzvah is that they're able to give away 30, 40% of their wealth, even though you're really only supposed to give away 10% of your wealth and unique people can give away 20%. There are people, and I know some of them in my synagogue, who give away more than 20% of their wealth every year to help other people because they have more than enough for themselves. So they're doing a tremendous mitzvah. I also know people, on the other hand, who have good enough careers or even better than that, who are able to only work half a day and spend the rest of the time learning because time is not yours. So we have an obligation to do mitzvahs and to learn Torah all the time that we don't need to do other things. So you need to eat, so you're not supposed to learn Torah when you're eating. You need to take care of your children and your wife and your family, don't have to spend time learning. You need to do dishes, need to take out the garbage, need to go to work nine to five. But anytime that you're not doing the stuff that you need to do, and relaxing as much as you need to to be a healthy person, emotionally and physically. So then you have to be doing, learning Torah or doing mitzvahs. 
So again, I hope this isn't too heavy, but it's the truth. I got to tell you the truth, right? So the truth is, is that we're, we have obligations in this world. So there are stories of famous rabbis who, um, the Chavetz Chaim, for example, one the greatest rabbi in Poland, lived uh, 150 years ago, I believe, that he had a, he was a storekeeper. In addition to running the yeshiva in Raden, Poland, he was also a storekeeper, and he worked it out. I believe that he that he kept lowering the hours of time that he was in the store, in order to make sure that he um, that he didn't make more money than he needed. He said, I'm going to work as much time as I need to cover my expenses, and the rest of the time I'm going to be learning. And in fact, I think I could be getting that story mixed up, but the Chavos Chaim, for sure, there was a competitor who opened up a store across the street, and everyone was going to the Chavos Chaim's business because he was known to be such a righteous person, such an honest person. So the Chavos Chaim closed his store additional hours just to make sure that his competitor would get additional business. All right, that's amazing. That's amazing to think about the guy who's competing with you to make sure that he also gets some of the business. So Chavetz Chaim said, it's not fair. Why should, if I open my store, people are coming to me because they know me. So it's not fair. So I'm going to close my store, just be open a few hours a day. All right. So, so these are, these are the ideas of what's possible in life. Not to say that we all have to be there. We have to be healthy first and foremost, healthy physically and emotionally before we try to do any of this. So I heard from a great rabbi in Jerusalem that playing basketball can be an incredible mitzvah to get health, stay healthy, and to expand your mind, to relax, or it can be a sin if you don't need it. If you don't need to unwind, if you don't need to have fun today, then you should be doing something meaningful with your life. And basketball, no offense to anybody out there who's listening, is not meaningful. It's fun. It's exercise. It could be utilizing your spiritual powers of self-control, concentration, teamwork, competition. There's many good things that can be expressed through basketball, but it's better if you can express those things through mitzvahs. You can utilize your desire for teamwork, competition, self-control, precision, training. If you can utilize that to perfect yourself or the world, it's a much better use of your time. Unless you are professional caliber, in which case you could be making millions of dollars. And we know that there are two um, Orthodox Jews who just entered into Major League Baseball keeping Shabbos. So for them, it's a huge mitzvah. Why? Because the amount of money they're going to make through playing baseball is unparalleled with any other career they could have. So they can do so much good with that money. So you guys get the idea that it's all according to you and your unique talents, your unique desires, but you have to look at life as a mission. You're on a mission here to do something good with your time, to better yourself in the world. And anything that's not helping you do that is only necessary if it's necessary. Got it? Okay. So this is deep stuff here. All right. So says Rashi that the Torah here is talking connected the Yetzirah, that the Torah only speaks against the Yetzirah, the, the animal inclination. What does that mean? That in the heat of battle, as we said previously, there might be that the animal is released, unleashed, right? When your person is fighting, their most animalistic fight-or-flight desires come out. And that's why in battlefields right, and in wars, there is not uncommon all over the world 
And in fact, the only army in the world, I believe, that doesn't have these allegations against them, even though they're, they have every other allegation against them, is raping and pillaging, right? The Israeli army uh, is, does not do that, right? They don't go into Arab village and rape and pillage and rob and steal, right? They follow moral, moral ethics, as they should, as the Jewish people <laughs> yeah, that, that's the complaint yeah so um but but it's common and understandable why those things happen in the in the heat of battle because in battle in order to fight you become an animal and it's either fight or be killed and therefore the animal is unleashed so it's it's not uncommon for these desires to to happen so the torah says very clearly that if you have a desire to do something that would otherwise be unkosher. So the Torah gives you a means to do it as a mitzvah. So what does the Torah say to do? And this is the way Rashi explains it. Take this woman into your house. Cut off her hair. Have her grow her nails long. Have her take off her beautiful clothing and sit there for a month. Let your animal die down. Let your passion die down. After a month, if you still desire her, that means you're seeing something real. It's not just a physical, animalistic temptation. And that's, that's exactly what the Torah is doing. It's helping us channel the animal in order to do what's right, not just what feels good. And that's the entire Torah. The entire Torah is full of mitzvahs. And that's why this week's Parsha has the most mitzvahs in the Torah, because the job of mitzvahs is to teach us to take those gray areas and to turn the basic mundane things of this life into mitzvahs. Because basketball, burgers, sorry, not cheeseburgers, basketball, burgers, sleep, how you do conduct business, these are all realms of the permitted, the permissible, the gray. But what that really means is we have the ability to turn the gray into a mitzvah. How? By literally utilizing it for the sake of spirituality. And that's why the Torah is full of mitzvahs on how to conduct business, how to speak, how to eat, how to engage in every act, what clothes to wear. This week's Parsha, literally, from beginning to end, how to, how to conduct yourself in marriage. Because these are all opportunities to do mitzvahs, to take the regular stuff of this world, the stuff that every person does, but to do it for the sake of a mitzvah. So you can literally, your life can be surrounded with mitzvahs through the physical actions of this world. So this great rabbi said, basketball can be a great mitzvah or it can be a sin. It's all depending on why you're doing it. And he said, but that is incredibly difficult to tell on your own. That's why you need a guide in this world to help you figure out, can I push the envelope to become a little more spiritual? Can I try a little bit harder to refine myself? Now, for us, on a beginning level, we have to take it really slow and indulge in pleasure. Don't cut yourself off from pleasure because the way of Torah is not asceticism. We're not supposed to disconnect from pleasure until we're on a ver the highest level that we don't need those pleasures anymore. But on the basic level, we do need them. And if you were to cut them off, and I've seen this time and time again of people who become religious too fast. And they cut off the things that they don't really need. They cut off the movies and the sports and the entertainment and the hobbies. They say, I'm just going to learn Torah 24-7. And how long does that last? Not very long. 
months. So talk to your guy, talk to your spiritual guides, your teachers to find out if you're ready for more. Don't push it. Don't push it. So let's talk about it. I'm happy to help. I'm happy to help. But I will say that the rule is what I believe the rule is in general, you have to know yourself. There are some people who are who are very stagnant spiritually. They're not really interested in spirituality. They're not interested in growing. And if they didn't push themselves, if they didn't push themselves, they wouldn't go anywhere. So those people need a push. Sometimes they need to go cold turkey and cut out something from their life. Otherwise, they would never change, right? Sometimes they have to just quit smoking. Sometimes they have to say no more cheeseburgers. Sometimes they have to say, you know what? For me, I don't need to sleep 15 hours a day. I'm going to cut it down to eight. All right? Right? I don't need that. But for most people, for, for those of us who have a drive to grow spiritually, who want more, their, their challenge is in the opposite direction of doing too much too fast. There's something called the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah is that drive inside us that tries to sabotage us from growing spiritually. So the Yetzirah is constantly trying to prevent us from doing the right thing because he wants to keep us down. Really, it's the goal of the Yetzirah is to help us to grow through challenging us and learning to overcome. But there's something called a Frum Yetzirah. That means a religious Yetzirah. Some people, their Yetzirah is, don't do too much. Shabbos, ah, you're not ready for it. It's not for you. You know, kosher, it's too hard. It's too much money. You're going to hurt yourself. It's not going to be good for your family. Don't do it. So that person, they have to fight their Yetzirah by pushing themselves to do more. Other people have a religious Yetzirah. Their Yetzirah says, do more. Do more. How cut, cut this out of your life. Don't, no more TV, no more Netflix, no more Facebook. From now on, you're only subscribing to the religious Jewish uh, networks and you're only getting a kosher phone, no more social media. And, you know, those people, their Yetzirah is trying to get them to burn out because it knows if I get you to move too fast, it's not going to last. So the key is baby steps. That's it. Baby steps. Know that you're constantly growing from one week at a time, one step closer to your true goals as a in spirituality, in, in your emotional intelligence, emotional connection, emotional well-being, positive relationships, one step at a time. If you take too big a step, you will fail. If you don't take enough steps, you will fail. <laughs> so so some people need some people need to know when to jump faster when to go faster right because life is life is a down escalator right if you're not climbing up the escalator you're going down so you have to figure out what that pace is to make sure that you're constantly making progress and not staying stagnant but i would say for most people the key is just to do take intelligent mindful actions mitzvahs that are going to help you to grow as a person but that aren't going to burn you out Okay, and it's a fine balance. Okay, let's let's continue with one more idea that the Orchai Makadosh says as follows, that this person that we mentioned, this soldier, is an extremely righteous individual. And it's the top of the top, right? It's only righteous people, and they're, they're doing a mitzvah at this time that they're engaging in war, so they're surrounded by additional mitzvahs. And therefore... Therefore, if they see this woman on the battlefield and are attracted to her, the only way it's possible for someone on that righteous level to be attracted physically to another person is because they're seeing a spiritual spark inside 
that person. They're being drawn to a spark of spirituality inside that woman. And therefore, he brings her back to the Jewish people and has her get ugly and has her shave her head, take off her pretty clothes, grow her nails, look extremely attractive, mourn and cry for a month in order to see, was I mistaken? Was I was my Yetzirah tricking me? Was it just a physical attraction or was there really a spark of holiness there? And if it's true that there is a spark of holiness, then I want I, our job as a Jewish nation is to go out into the world and to bring back sparks of holiness. That The Talmud says the Jewish people did not go into exile amongst the nations of the world for only one reason, to bring back converts, to find those sparks of holiness that are hidden amongst the nations of the world and bring them back to the Jewish people. Again, not everyone is meant to be Jewish, but there are certain souls that are Jewish souls born in non-Jewish bodies who are meant to be part of our nation. And therefore, we go out into the world to basically let people know who we are so that people can join the the mission if they feel that that is their mission. So the Orachim adds one other dimension. He says as follows, that really it's a metaphor for the soul. Orachim says, the soul comes into the war, into the world to wage war against the Yetzirah. I just saw today a quote from a a Spanish um, book on self-improvement called Duties of the Heart, written about a thousand years ago by, um, what? No. No, no, that's what, that's what I strive for too. Um, Duties of the Heart was was written by Rabino Bachia, um, written a thousand years ago in Spain, originally, originally written in Arabic, translated into Hebrew. No, no, no. Strive for Truth was written uh, 50 years ago. So, so, um, so Duties of the Heart, Chovos Lovavos talks about different mitzvahs of the heart, basically, of self-improvement. And um, I just read today, literally in the chapter I'm reading right now, I read a little bit, a few lines every day. He said that there was once a soldiers that were came back from, from army. They were victorious in battle and they passed by a righteous person. The righteous person said, you think that was hard? Now you're ready to enter into the real war, which is the war against yourself. As it says in the in Perkyavos in the Talmud, it says, who is a who is a who is a, a warrior, who is a strong person? Not someone who can beat other people up, but someone who can control themselves. Because that is the greatest enemy, is the one that's designed just for you. And that's our inner enemy, the Yetzirah. Okay, so says the Orachayim, the soul comes into this world to wage war with the Yetzirah, to battle our evil inclinations, our bodily drives, our animal soul. But the soul itself is always beautiful. And the soul is, is called in Kabbalah an Isha, a woman. The soul is a feminine to the, compared to the body, which is more coarse. The soul is a beautiful woman. The soul is always beautiful. On the soul, right? No matter what we've done in our lives, it has no impact on the beauty of our soul. I don't care what sins we have done. You can murder someone. Your soul remains pure and beautiful. Our bodies are imperfect. Are imperfect. Our bodies have flaws. We are drawn after bodily desires and we do the wrong thing. It doesn't affect who we really are, which is our soul. The soul comes into this world. The soul is a beautiful woman. 
the soul is in war, is in battle in this world, on the battlefield, fighting against the Yetzirah. When you defeat the Yetzirah, when you overcome your desire to do the wrong thing, you come in contact with that spark of beauty within of the soul. Bring it back into your house. Bring that beautiful woman into your house. Bring the soul with you into your body, into your daily routine. Connect to it. Connect body and soul. Have her take off her clothes. Her, have her shave her head and cut her nails. Remove the externals that are preventing that soul from connecting to your body. Disconnect from the physical beauty, the physical external world, and have her sit in your house. Have the soul sit, dwell in your house. How do you have her dwell in your house? Says the Orachayim HaKadosh, the house is the house of prayer, the, the synagogue, the Beis HaMedrash. Take the soul, go into shul with that soul. Go do a mitzvah with that soul. Learn some Torah. Now that you've had a spark of connection to the beauty within, utilize it. Do something with it. Do something holy with it. And have her cry for a month for her mother and her father. Says the Orachayim, what does that mean? Have her cry for her disconnection from Hashem. The soul's been disconnected. The soul was thrown into this world of disconnection. She wants nothing more than to be back with her father. Right? The soul is always, it's a part of the soul that is always intrinsically connected to Hashem. But there's also a part of the soul that goes with us in our body that becomes schlepped into the negativity of the world. Even though it remains pure and clean, it, it, it wants to go back to Hashem, to purity, to spirituality. And have her cry for Hashem for a month. What month, says the Orachayim? This month. The month of Elul. The month of Elul is a month of connection. It's a month of preparation for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's a month when we try very hard to remove the externals, to take off those clothes, to disconnect from the physical in order to connect a little bit deeper to our true desire to become better people, to have better healthy relationships, to become better Jews. And that's literally what this time is of the year. So that's just a little allegory that the Orachayim says based on this week's Parsha. But for our perspective, what does this all mean? Is that we have an opportunity in this world. Every moment is an opportunity to grow. To grow, most importantly, closer to what? Closer to who we really are. Who are we really? We are really souls. Souls that have bodies. Pure, beautiful, shining, shimmering spiritual beings. And mitzvahs are opportunities of connection. The word mitzvah literally means, comes from the word, the Zohar says, tzafsa, which means connection. Mitzvahs are opportunities to connect, connect to ourselves, connect to others, connect to God. And we have opportunities in our life to bring a little more of that soul into our life and into our actions. Just like we have the ability to lift up the mundane world, to take these gray areas and turn them into mitzvahs, we also have the ability to bring down a little more soul into this world through those very same mitzvahs. So we have the opportunity in this world to take advantage of every moment. Every moment. Time is not money. Time is life. You cannot kill time. You can only kill life. To literally take advantage of the opportunities we have to become more connected. More connected to who we really are. And you can do that through basketball. Just not too much through basketball. But ultimately, we have to take the opportunities to do divine acts, acts of spirituality, things that bring spirituality into the world and help connect us to our soul. You have to first be a healthy human being. 
You have to be healthy physically, healthy emotionally, have healthy relationships. But once you're there, then we have the opportunity to do so much more with our time than just keep feeding the machine. Most people live in order to work, in order to live, in order to work, right? Life is a game of making money so you can eat and pay rent and make more money so you can eat and pay rent. But what's it all for? What's the point of perpetuating something that has no purpose? The whole purpose of making money is that you can eat. What's the purpose of eating? That you can make more money? What's it all for? So we take a day off. That's called Shabbos. It's a day, not a day off. It's a day on. It's a day of stopping the working in order to eat, in order to work, in order to eat. And on Shabbos, we just be for the ultimate purpose, which is connections to spirituality. And we also eat on Shabbos. And we also sleep. It's a mitzvah to eat and to sleep on Shabbos more than you normally would. Right, but with the goal of connection to Hashem, so that's everything. The Torah gives the opportunity to enjoy every pleasure, Jalen. Don't worry, you don't have to stop indulging and enjoying life. The Torah gives the ability to enjoy every possible pleasure for the sake of a mitzvah, and that's that's what we have to seek to do: is to uplift the experiences, not just to enjoy them for what they are. Right? I went kayaking with my boys for five hours yesterday. Okay, albeit we got sunburned. But you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to have fun. You have to go on vacation. You have to enjoy yourself. You have to eat. You have to sleep. You have to indulge, but just not too much. And it's really up to us to figure out what's the right balance between indulgement and overindulgement of spiritual growth and burning out. Life is a very fine tightrope. As Rabbi Nachman of Breslov once said, the whole wide world is a very narrow bridge. A very narrow bridge for anyone that knows the song. But the one thing to recall is to have no fear at all. No fear or fear the fear and do it anyway. Find that balance. You can do it. I believe in you. I believe in you. Guys, it's been a pleasure and I want to wish you all a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos of enjoying life, enjoying a life of connection, of spirituality, of self-perfection. And uh, may we all May we all live a life of balance and ultimately spiritual pleasure, which is the greatest possible pleasure.